You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered. Listener supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Deke Hager. And I'm Benedict Jones. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, February 27th, 2023. Later in the program, WFHB Corinth Zero Rose speaks with Dr. Joel Furman, best-selling author and renowned physician specializing in preventative nutrition and natural healing. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Activate, narratives from people making positive change done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. But first, your daily headlines. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on February 22nd, the planning department announced an upcoming meeting on March 23rd from 5.30 to 6.45 p.m. Um, Planning department has been working on our County Development Ordinance, and we are going to host a focus group March 23rd from 5.30 to 6.45 p.m. Um, this will be virtually only focus groups, and um, the public will have an option of choosing from one of the following topics, and they'll all be run concurrently together. So construction review, economic development, or environmental provision. Um, each group will be hosted uh, via Zoom, and we will have staff members there, possibly um, commissioners, plan commissioners, uh, and hopefully councilmen may show up. Um, so again, this will be March 23rd from 5.30 to 6.45. We will be putting more information on our website, the www.monroecdo.com. And um, we will be recording those and taking any of those comments that we accumulate during the, those meetings uh, to uh, incorporate into the CDO. So thank you. Next, the commissioners heard a presentation from Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative Coordinator Christine McAfee about the Monroe County Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative. So anyway, I'm really excited to share with the community one of the initiatives that we work with here in probation is JDAI, which is Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative. Um, and we are always looking at opportunities to empower our community and our partner agencies, parents, young people, stakeholders, ways to help address unmet needs for young people and families. Um, our ultimate goal is to divert as many families as we can from our system. We know that once people get involved in either the youth justice system or the adult system, um, sometimes it's really hard to get out. So what I'm here to share with you today is we have some grant funding to pay for scholarships for up to five families. And a family is one or two caregivers in the same household. So it doesn't have to be, you know, a mom or a dad. It could be grandparents. It could be foster parents. It could be aunts, uncles, who's ever responsible for caring for those young people. And they will have an opportunity to participate in our two-day virtual workshop. March 10th and 11th, it's 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then there are three support calls after that. You can see the dates on the screen. I don't have specific times, um, but those support calls are intended to help implementation of what you learn. Many of us go to training, we come back all inspired. We think this is gonna be great. And then, you know, the next morning we wake up and sometimes it's hard to put into practice the great stuff we learned. 
TBRI, as you see on the screen again, is an attachment-based trauma-informed approach. And it's really intended to be used with people, young people, adults that have experienced trauma. Um, and we've talked about this before, and the reality is most of us have experienced some level of trauma. So this is open to our community. If you have an interest in learning more about it, please contact me. My contact information is on the screen, either by telephone or email. Um, also, Hope Alight is the agency that's providing this training. And if there's anybody on this call that just in general wants to learn more about what is trust-based relational intervention? What is it that we've done to bring it to our probation department? How might another agency be interested in exploring how well this might work in your agency? I would be more than happy to point you in the right directions. The commissioners heard from County Attorney Jeff Cockrell about a contract with Yasmin L. Stump Law Group. The contract would be for legal services on an as-needed basis to assist with any right-of-way acquisitions that proceed to condemnation while extending the Karst Trail. Yes, this is kind of an agreement that we typically see at the beginning of any uh, federal aid or any really any project. This is an agreement with a law firm who handles uh, condemnation cases exclusively. At this point, I'm not aware that their services are going to be needed in this, but given the time frames we always have to deal with with these uh, uh, federal pro federal programs, we would like to have them on board in case there is an issue with uh, acquiring the necessary um, easements or right-of-way for that project. This is for, uh, I believe, the, the Karst Trail. They will connect uh, the Karst Trail to Liberty Drive, and I think that that will eventually lead, that will connect to the city's trail so that you could go from Karst Farm Park all the way to the B-Line. I think that is the end result of this project. The commissioners unanimously approved the contract. Next, the commissioners heard a rezone request from Planning Department Planner Daniel Brown for a parcel located at 7935 West Ratliff Road. So this is a rezone from Planned Unit Development to Agricultural Rural Reserve. It's one 18 <laughs> acre or less in the Richland Township, section 16 at uh, 7935 West Ratliff Road. Uh, this was given a positive recommendation by the Planning Commission on December 13th, 2022, at, by a vote of uh, seven to zero. And the background is that the purpose of this is to bring the lots into a zoning district that will allow it to be combined with a 40-acre lot that a position also owns to the south for the purposes of creating a four-lot sliding-scale subdivision. If approved, the petitioner intends to apply for a sliding-scale subdivision. All ordinance standards will require will apply. But if denied, the petitioner will be unable to use this lot for a sliding scale subdivision as this subdivision process is only applicable in the agricultural rural reserve, forest reserve, and conservation residential zone. Brown outlined the history of the zoning on the parcel. In the past, the site was meant to be rezoned into a planned unit development, but the owner has not submitted a planned development plan to date. Uh, the impetus for creating the PUD was to establish an agricultural event center or as I've often heard in layman's terms, a party barn, which at the time was not a permitted use in the agricultural rural reserve zone, but is now conditional use. As I said, the petitioner intends to utilize this lot with a 40 acre lot they own directly to the south to create a four lot science skills subdivision. And once more, the petition was given a positive recommendation by the Planning Commission on December 13th, 2022, 5-7-0. The property owner, Brandon Powell, spoke and explained why he is requesting the rezone. 
Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Brandon Powell. Uh, I'm a Monroe County resident and the current property owner of 7935 West Ratliff Road. My wife and I are applying for this uh, this change. That's a, a, our primary purpose is to uh, be able to build a new home on the property. In order to sell the existing home, we have to be able to subdivide the property. So we've requested, uh, or we're going, we plan to request four lots because, uh, as was mentioned, uh, we will be able to we will not be able to make any other further uh, dividing of the property for 25 years. So in an attempt to try to set ourselves up uh, for the future, uh, because of that lack of ability to change, we have proposed the uh, the four parcel subdivide. The commissioners approved the rezone request unanimously. The next Monroe County Commissioners meeting will be held on March 1st. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Dr. Joel Furman, best-selling author and renowned physician specializing in preventative nutrition and natural healing. This interview segment is titled Foods or Fads, Do's and Don'ts. We turn now to part two of that conversation. Vegetarian options that are more the modern options. You said you know they've incorporated more of these modern foods into their into their systems, like probably in Loma Linda down there, the uh, Seventh Day Adventists generally vegetarian or vegan. You know the veggie burgers, the more processed vegetarian fare. How do you uh, come down on some of those products? I agree with what you're in, insinuating that just because if somebody is not eating animal products doesn't mean their diet is good and their diet can have processed foods that do not contain animal products and still would be considered vegan. And eating vegan hot dogs and vegan cheeses that are made from all and vegan, you know, meat imitate imitation meats that are vegan um, are still processed foods without the matrix of sustenance and phytochemicals and antioxidants that real food has. And the real food we're talking about here are things like, you know, peas and beans and beets and mushrooms and carrots and squashes and, and, and you know, real vegetables. And we're vegetable-dependent animal. And I, I want people listening to memorize these um, words I'm going to say right now. You could write it down. I'm going to say it slowly. Raw vegetables, meaning salad vegetables, raw vegetables have the most consistent and powerful association with the reduction of cancers of all type. That's why one of my mantras is for people to eat a salad every day and chew it really well and put in you know, raw onion or scallion and tomatoes and a sauce or a dressing made from you know, nuts and seeds blended with tomato sauce or with an orange or with a, you know, so in other words, make some, you know, I'm, I'm famous for making these incredible salad dressings that are healthy to put on healthy salads. So people eat a big salad once a day with a healthy dressing on top. And we're mixing not just with lettuce, with some raw cruciferous greens like bok choy, kale, arugula, watercress, cabbage. We're putting some of that on the salad too, besides the lettuce, even though the lettuce is the richest source of sulfoquinivose, which supports the growth of the good bacteria in the gut. I'm saying lettuce is a superfood and people should be eating a big salad every day. And so we're trying to have people um, eat a diet with a high micronutrient density, means a high um, you know, micronutrient bang per caloric buck eating a lot of foods that contain lots of nutrients. And the more you eat foods that do not contain nutrients, like oils and white bread and fake meats, 
and fake cheeses and things that are just processed foods, the more you actually shorten your lifespan and increase your risk of chronic disease. And the more you eat foods that are nutrient dense per calorie, like particularly green vegetables and both raw and cooked, including things like, you know, cooked broccoli and artichokes and asparagus and Brussels sprouts and broccolini and all these things are superfoods. And we, and there's a, another dose dependent relationship between consumption of green vegetables and being a healthy centenarian and long life. What I'm saying right now is almost every food has a threshold effect of benefit, which means once you have a three quarters of a cup of onion or a half a cup of onion, having an extra cup not going to make it's not going to make you live longer. Once you eat a half a cup of mushrooms a day, having an extra cup is not going to make you live longer. But we see in the studies that when people go from one cup of green vegetables to two cups, we see more people living to be 100 years old. When they go to three cups, even more, four cups, even more. It seems that there's no threshold. The more green vegetables people eat, the longer they live, they live, and the higher propensity they have for excellent health. Green vegetables um, accelerate and prevent the deposition of the depositing of cholesterol in the inner walls of blood vessels. They activate the antioxidant response in the cells. They support human immune function. They build the intraepithelial lymphocytes that build our immune system that surrounds our gut, and they fuel the growth of the healthiest microbiome in the digestive tract. So all these things activate. I'm, I'm saying that we're green vegetable-dependent animals meant to eat them in large quantities. And if you don't like green vegetables, you better live close to a hospital because you're going to need one because you can't have good health if you don't eat green vegetables. And uh, the vegetable oils that are that are in a lot of those you know, processed vegetarian foods is an issue in itself. And then you've got, besides the soy, it's usually a part of it. I mean, do you have any particular things about the uh, like soy protein isolate that, that are problematic? I do. I think that soybeans are an excellent food that have anti-cancer benefits, but you can't say the same about soy protein isolate. It's concentrated and that concentrated of protein that's not that's more concentrated than the soybean has. It pushes the absorption of, of protein too high in the bloodstream. As if you're eating like the same as if you were drinking milk. It you know presses, it has too strong an effect at raising IGF-1. You don't want IGF-1 to bottom out and be super low, but if it gets to be high, it becomes a cancer promoter. And isolated soy protein, whey protein, dairy proteins, and eating you know too much meat or fowl or even fish, too much animal products in general, can still push IGF-1 too high. And as IGF-1 rises, it promotes cellular replication excessively and also promotes angiogenesis, which enables cancer cells to glean a blood supply and to replicate and metastasize. So it becomes so animal protein and soy protein can become cancer promoters when consumed in excess. And uh, one thing I haven't uh, heard you chime in about that doesn't, uh, I haven't seen it mentioned, in diet plans, I mean, you might tell us about your particular recipe for salad dressings because most salad dressings are sugar, dairy, and veggie oil based. Right. Is vinegar. Do you use vinegar in those mixes? And is there certain balance to strike with the vinegar? I do use vinegar in the mix. Like one of my favorite dressings is just to peel a navel orange and to mix it with lightly toasted sesame seeds and cashews with a splash of blood orange vinegar and a squeeze of lemon. I love that dressing, like an orange sesame dressing. I'll even take some of the sesame seeds separate and sprinkle them on the salad and put some kiwi or orange slices in the salad, and I'll eat that. Or I'll make a dressing by mixing one of my other favorite dressings, a nice thick garlicky tomato sauce. Where I make, And then I mix that with almond butter 
and some black fig vinegar. It's just fantastically delicious dressing for a salad. The almond butter, black fig vinegar, and the tomato sauce mix. Yeah, I'm giving people a new way to think about um, dressings and sauces. Like we make a Thai curry sauce and we put hemp seeds with a little touch of peanut butter in there. You know, and then we put actually curry and turmeric and and um, lemongrass is one of the secret ingredients into that dressing too, and a little bit of um, coconut, a little bit of shredded coconut too. But the point I'm making is we make these incredibly delicious dressings and sauces for making vegetables taste good. I'll even take, you know, some a little jar of um, unsweetened um, tart cherry concentrate, unsweetened tart cherry concentrate, and I'll put a little bit of balsamic vinegar in that. And I'll use that and I'll thicken it a little bit and I'll use it as a drizzle to put on vegetables, like to dip broccolini in or to eat, bro you know, broccoli, broccolini or Brussels sprouts or something, you know, make a delicious, you know, black, you know, tart cherry dressing to use on vegetables. So we make the, you know, make the vegetables taste great and the, and the salads taste great. But yes, vinegar used with, with a meal, it's diluted by the food, by the whole meal. It's not, not drinking straight vinegar, which could be too strong. But if you're having a, a reasonable amount of vinegar, it actually aids digestion and helps slow the disruption of glucose. And it's not, and it's it's safe to use vinegar in moderate amounts, like we're talking about in a dressing or a dip. Up next, we have Activate, narratives from people making positive change, done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. Today's episode features Susan Sizer and Leslie Davis. We turn now to the latest installment of Activate on the WFHB Local News. Welcome to Activate, featuring stories of inspiration from your community members who stand up for what they believe in and encouraging you to live your passion, make a difference, and get involved. My name is Susan Sizer. I am an anthropologist, and I just retired from my job as a professor at IU in the Department of Anthropology in June 2022. And it is my great pleasure to be able to put some energy into the community. I feel like that was something that I had to put on hold for a long time. I am one of the wheelie women. I'm Leslie Davis and with Susan, I am one of the co-founders of the Mobility Aids Lending Library, along with uh, all four wheelie women and our, our other partners in crime. The Mobility Aids Lending Library, or MAL for short, is a community organization run by people with mobility disabilities. And when we started, um, Susan named us the Wheelie Women because we we're four women all on wheels. We or the MAL accepts donations of gently used mobility aids, such as manual wheelchairs, transport wheelchairs, power wheelchairs, mobility scooters, knee scooters, uh, crutches, walkers, shower benches, and plenty of other things. And we make these available to people who need them, either for short periods of time or permanently free of charge. We are like a matching agency between the mobility aid or device and the person who needs it. You have a mobility aid that's no longer needed, or if there is an aid or device that you or someone you know could use to improve their quality of life, 
We invite people to fill out our mobility aid donation forms or mobility aid need forms. Um, and we are also, uh, we also have a uh, Facebook page where we are putting up pictures of all the things we have. And it also has our contact information and links to these um, forms that we ask people to fill out if they need something or have something to give us. You can email us at mallbloomington at gmail.com. So that's M-A-L-L Bloomington, mallbloomington at gmail.com. There's also a good, a very good website to get like more familiar with this whole, the world that everything we're talking about lives in, right? The disability access world is bloomington.in.gov slash CCA for the Council for Community Accessibility. I would hope that the presence of free and readily available mobility aids will inspire people to become more mobile than they have been or inspire them to make use of something to make their daily life safer for themselves and the people who care about them or care for them. And I think Susan and I are both big proponents of using mobility devices doesn't make you more dependent. It makes you more independent because exactly. you can do so much more for yourself without having to ask others to do everything for you. Absolutely. And it makes you feel more empowered because you actually are doing the thing you need <laughs> rather than pretending that you don't need it. So like for me, the example for me was I was really, I lived in Los Angeles and the YMCA in Los Angeles was in, in downtown LA, was in a really cool place, but it was the top of a building. So you had to park in this parking lot and then the elevator takes you up. And then you had to walk all the way around this kind of, I don't know, paved area to get into the Y. And I was struggling to do that with a cane. And by the time I got there, I couldn't do anything else. You know, so I remember shifting from a cane to a walker. And that was great. And then eventually the walker became too much. And I shifted to a manual chair. And I wept each time I had to make those changes. Just wept. I was like, oh, my God, everyone going to think I'm an 80-year-old woman with a walker. I was like 33. No, no, I was... Uh, Let's see how, what age I was 40. And then when, once you get it, once you do it, you're like, oh my God, why didn't I do this before? And now I can get everywhere I want to go, except for <laughs> you can't because <laughs> built world is not built for, uh, us. built for us. It hasn't, it hasn't caught on to the truly wonderful world of universal design. Visitability is a real issue. Um, and I don't mean visibility, I mean visitability. That is not being able to go anywhere except for your own accessible home and places that have been, that are publicly declared, you know, spaces that need to be made accessible, like the YMCA or museums or city buildings, right? But like shops, boutiques that have like one step, or two steps 
or the main thing for me as a social a person who likes to meet other people where they live and an anthropologist, right? I'm an ethnographer. I can't get into other people's houses. Um, so that's super frustrating for me. Um, so the built environment, you know, universal design has been around for 30 years. It's, it's a concept of making every built space available for use by every ability person and every age person. So like toddlers can reach a sink if it can move up and down. Um, a, a mom with a stroller can come into a house if there's a ramp, right? So a piano can get moved more easily if there's a ramp. Um, yeah, so it's just like the wisdom of the curve as opposed to the straight angle, right? So curved ramps, curved everything um, is just so much better. So. I don't know why it takes so long for people to be catching on. You know, we're waiting. And we're doing what we can in Bloomington, Indiana. And we're both on the Council for Community Accessibility. Um, you know, when we meet on the last Sunday of every month from 1 to 3 p.m. Um, in room 2B, um, people can come in and just check it, you know, see what they like. Try out the different rollators and walkers and crutches and um yes, Susan. I really hoped that we and we still hope that people will come by just to talk to us about kind of easing into yes disability. And we're happy to show people some things that might be able to work for them. Yeah. You've been listening to Activate, a co-production of WFHB and City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build an empowered, vibrant, engaged community. To find more information about volunteering in your community, visit bloomington.in.gov slash volunteer. The City of Bloomington Volunteers Network aims to inspire, support, and celebrate volunteerism in the community by connecting volunteers of all ages. They invite you to get involved and make a difference by visiting bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org by emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov to learn more. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Zero Rose. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Benedict Jones. And I'm Dee Kager. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. 